Thank you, Troy, for, uh, for that testimony and for all of you who went. <clears throat> we indeed are looking forward, and I trust all of you will be there uh, tonight to uh, celebrate with the uh, Voice of Praise and their homecoming uh, kind of gathering tonight. It is indeed special. I was reminded when, when uh, Troy was sharing that testimony uh, about an article I was asked to write several years ago uh, to a national kind of um, Christian publication that asked the question, so what do churches do? How do they receive or how are they supposed to receive uh, people when they return full of excitement from mission trips, from from uh, camps, from some different kinds of uh, vacation and, and uh, year-round kind of events that have heightened their spiritual away, uh, awareness and really excited them for Christ. How do we avoid that they come back and it is just like the opposite? Uh, church going on with what is always there. And, and one of the things I was highlighting was the necessity and the importance for the church of receiving these people with joy and excitement and encouragement and celebration and, and just celebrating what God has done through them and in their lives while doing that. So let's all agree to that, yes? I think that is what we want to be known for as First Baptist Church of Louisville. I want to speak about amazement uh, today, and it kind of corresponds in ways that we couldn't have planned even with, with what we just heard. <clears throat> we are not easy to amaze anymore, are we? It's just not all that easy to get amazed. It's just, it's not. You know, I'm the, you know, my wife is kind to, uh, to go with me so many places we go, and, and often she's the driver because they have to work. Uh, on these things, and sometimes I have meetings. I'll sit in the back seat, and, and I'll meet with someone. Um, and so, uh, not too long ago, we were going down uh, the road, you know, 75 miles an hour. I was on FaceTime with someone from a different continent, doing more or less the same. <laughs> and it cost us nothing. We're talking like we're sitting next door, looking at each other like we're in the same room. Yes, are you hearing this? Were we amazed? Were we flabbergasted? Not really. It's kind of what we do. So how do we get amazed these days? How, how do we really get astonished in any kind of real way? We have so also denigrated that language that it almost makes no sense anymore, right? That stuff doesn't amaze us, but we can talk to each other about, I just had the most amazing dinner the other day. Really? Like incredible, like that's unbelievably in incredible. Are you hearing me? I just saw the most amazing movie. It was like astonishingly good. <laughs> and then comes Easter. And Christ breaks the power of death, rises from the dead. And we go, uh-huh. There's no, oh, wow, have you heard of this? That can't be. I can't even believe this. Have you heard? This guy was dead. Now he's alive. Yeah. We do it every year. You hear what I'm saying. So how do we relate to a text that we're going to read today? We are in this season where we highlight as a thematic overarching theme, if you will, 
uh, life together. And we talk about what does that mean to have life together in the Christian community as it relates to our social relationship with one another and our, our, um, our uh, relationship with Christ on that, on that uh, vertical relationship also. And how do these things interact with each other? So last Sunday we dealt with the, with the first, uh, with the other last few Sundays we've been in chapter four and we're going to stay in chapter four verse 31 of the gospel of Luke. Um, and we're simply going to ask this question this morning about being amazed by Jesus. So listen to this text, verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. And amazement came over them all. And they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirit with authority and power. And they come out. And the news about him began to go out every place. In the vicinity. Amazement. How do we look at a text like that? To be amazed or astonished is to be beside oneself. And it's kind of interesting, friends, when you look at the the New Testament, and some of you, I'm not going to do a whole lot of grammar for you here, but but every time that word amazed is used is in the passive voice, which means that it's not us doing it. It's always something that is a response to what Jesus is doing. They became amazed. It was not them amazing. They became amazed. It's a response kind of word to what Jesus is doing. And really, uh, the word that is translated here uh, by amaze is one of these words that, that uh, is really kind of uh, creating a, vis- a visual image in our mind. Really, it, it is a word that means to, to, to move away or to, 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 to kind of force out. In your way, if you will, like that. So it, it is in a way of saying that they, they were so overcome by what they have seen that it was so extraordinary from what they knew how about how things worked that it just drew them out of their own senses. They they couldn't put it together in any kind of real way. They have been blown away by what they have seen. So that's what this is extraordinarily what is going on so let me allow me a little aside here Um, the verses we ended reading last Sunday 
uh, in the verses right above what we just read now, was Jesus was in Nazareth, his own place. And it says at the end, they drove him out of the city. And then the next verse here, he came to Capernaum. What's going on? It, it even it said, it's put even stronger in, in the Gospel of Matthew when Matthew said he left Nazareth, his own town, and moved to dwell in Capernaum. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, God have mercy, may that not be a parable of what happens in our lives that he moves away from those who knew him to dwell in a different place. But really, that's not uh, the point of this. It's just a, such a stark contrast between these two towns that were at best 20 miles apart. So, they were amazed. And what were they first amazed at, if you will? They were first amazed, amazed at his authority. What's going on? What's the point here? Well, when we hear the word authority, we think of it in two different ways, generally speaking, right? One is the authority that comes with a certain kind of jurisdiction. It is, it is a formal authority. There are laws that count in Texas that don't count in Oklahoma and vice versa. There, there are certain kind of a formal authority that you have. Um, it, it's a police person in this kind of region, but not in that kind of region, for example. There are uh, certain authorities uh, that you have just formally uh, like that. I have a certain authority here as a pastor that doesn't count, you know, at Baylor University. I have a certain authority at Baylor University and some settings there that don't count here. You understand what I'm saying, that formal kind of thing. But there's also a personal, a personal uh, kind of authority. My dad had that. Um, there was just something in the way he something, not because he was my dad, in other settings actually, where when he spoke, it had a certain kind of way of landing that, that forced people to listen. My mom, who was the, his introverted, exact opposite of his extroversion, didn't speak much in public ever, but when she did, that ended the conclusion. Just saying. She stood up in a church business meeting and put that particular look on and said that in, with that particular tone, no one else said a word. The same was true in other settings, yes? So we see, we know that kind of thing. I had a school teacher much the same way in elementary school. Uh, everybody was, was always somewhat prepared at least. No one was ever late. I never heard him raise his voice and no one got detention. We were just kind of how he was. It's just a radiation of authority. And you ask, is that kind of what... Jesus had also, I think some of that is true. Certainly when he was 12 years old in the temple and he, he spoke about scripture in such a way that even the scribes and the PhDs of the day, if you will, in Bible had to kind of listen up. Yes, there's a certain kind of authority that comes in that way. But there's more here, much more than that. They were... They were uh, astonished because of authority that is here described with the word exousia. 
which is a word that normally is given to kings and people with, with, uh, with unlimited kind of sovereignty, if you will. And it refers here to the fact that Jesus has unlimited freedom to act, unlimited power to do what he could make happen just by the mere speaking of his words of his voice. So look at this right here. There's something going on that is extraordinary. That authority or exousia, if I can use that word, refers to an in, uh, indwelling, if you will, power. The power that has the authority just to create what it mentions. And when you meet that, you can't stop talking about it. People talk about what astonishes them. And so Jesus had actual power to actually change people's actual lives. That's what was there. And I wonder sometimes, are we still able to be astonished by what he can do even in our lives and certainly also in the lives of those around us? Maybe I could ask it another way. How long has it been since you have allowed him to truly astonish you in any kind of real way? C.S. Lewis, uh, the famed author, if you don't know who he is, please look him up. If you haven't read his books, please do so in the story. That's how important he is. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote his book. Uh, about his, his upbringing, about his conversion, how he moved from being an the- atheist uh, to be an Oxford professor, right? To, from he moving from being an atheist to becoming a theist and then to becoming a Christian that now pretty much everyone uh, is reading or have read uh, who have interest in knowing more. That's incredible. And what did he call that book? Surprised. By joy. Surprised by, astonished, you could have said, amazed by what happened to him. The joy that suddenly flooded him, everything changed. The kind of authority that will surprise you. You know, Scripture is is pretty clear on, on a lot of things. And one of the things is, of course, that God is always the one who has the power to accomplish the things that he wants. There is no power greater than his. And we have that, that, that description most clearly in, in, in the book of Daniel, where we had this king who is uh, extraordinarily uh, incredible, if you will. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He pretty much owned the world, and he knew it. And he walked around, and, and he is uh, looking around, and he talks about how much power and authority he has, and he was so clear on this that he had not even heard when Daniel spoke those words to him. We said, may the name of God be praised forever. For wisdom and power belongs to him. He, that is God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge 
to those who have understanding. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't hit him. It didn't last long. Go to chapter 4 and you'll see that, that uh, all of a sudden he found himself with a, uh, with a mental illness. Uh, where he was grazing in the fields like livestock, eating grass in the fields. Uh, it's kind of a sickness that, that today modern psychiatry called boanthropy. And here it was. It was God's own authority that was underscored, if you will, with these words that come there in chapter 4 when it says, Times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. Do you live, friends? I have to ask myself that. Do you live in that kind of experience? With that kind of amazement of what God can do. If you do, it will bring a full different kind of significance and purpose to your life. People will see it and they will be amazed at what God can do in your life. And it will open doors for you to speak of that God who creates wonders and amazement in people's lives and realities. You know, it's, it's a kind of a, an authority that we just read about in, in, in Daniel here that, that Jesus radiated. The authority to actually change people's lives. All they had ever known before were rabbis who were quoting other rabbis. Some were even known to say that I never said a word that was not something I'd memorized from another rabbi or my rabbi. Uh, Their whole authority was built on someone else. They had nothing they were adding. Even when it came to driving out the spirits, which is the case right here, they had learned certain cries, certain formulas, certain sayings, certain liturgies, certain sequences they had to go through to accomplish these things. Jesus could not be Any stronger of a contrast to that. He's quoting no one. He does not need to borrow his authority from anyone. He will drive out evil spirits by the mere mentioning it from his lips. He will preach and he says... The kingdom of God has come near. He would teach and he said, you know, it's said to those of old, but I tell you. Important men fall on their knees at his feet. People leave their home and their work without even asking questions. What kind of authority is that? Are you amazed? Jaws should be dropping down to here, right? Well, if you're amazed, you're not the only one. They were too in Capernaum and have been so many other places. The real question is, if we're interested 
in God making that kind of difference in our midst and in our lives. That's where that is. Can we still be amazed by God's doing in this time and in these places where we are? That's the real question. We like to sing songs like Jesus is the answer for the world today. But we start asking very quickly if we reflect on that, what does that even mean? We can't be astonished about what he does. So they were amazed at his authority. And then if you go on, you'll see also they were amazed at his ability, if you will, or the obedience of the spirits. And again, here we are placed before something. What are we, we going to do with that? <laughs> what are we going to do with that? Have you thought of that? What are we going to do with the spirit stuff? Right? I mean, we, we live in an, it's a, is that not, because it's an antiquated kind of way of thinking about life. That we realize Bible is old, so you know, out it goes. But, but let me stub us up a bit before we, we get to too quick on that. The kind of a Western worldview, if you will, that we have today, somewhat of an empiricist uh, view of reality, had its early beginnings in the philosophy of Aristotle, of course. And Aristotle uh, was saying this, that anything we can ever know and learn comes through the senses and the senses alone. He understood the human uh, mind as being just tabula rasa or, or blank slate. And the only way anything could get to that blank plate was through our senses like smelling and hearing and sight and, and, and touch and so forth. But let me say this, friends. If that's the only way you think knowledge of reality can come, you have to realize that this is somewhat of of a truncated and a narrow view of the world. The old saying that, that Hamlet was speaking, right, uh, in, in Shakespeare's play, that there's more between heaven and earth than what you can dream up with your philosophy, or uh, Horatio, would be nothing but an understatement in this context. Paul was right. Paul was right when he said, our fight is not against flesh and blood alone, but against the powers and the authorities. Now, we hearing this. I know most of the time when we speak about demons today, we do so in connection with personal demons. And people sometimes admit that we uh, struggle with my personal demons, and it often refers to trauma certain mental illnesses or, or addictions or whatever it may be. We kind of use that word in that way. But let me say, even with that, Jesus' authority reaches there too. Your personal demons will have to flee at the word of Jesus. There is no addiction that he can't heal. There is no trauma that he can't reverse. There is no dark place that he cannot shed his light. Are we hearing this, friends? What the text is saying? Are we hearing this? 
When you live in light of what he's doing, your life will be filled with amazement. And you'll have something, not only to say to yourself, but to say to those around you. And this has moved so far from what is our everyday that sometimes our lives can be described just like Charles Bryant described it. He's a, he's a mainline pastor and he wrote in the early 80s and this is what he wrote. He said, my training is in liberal theology and clinical psychology. I believe that uh, this world's, uh, the illnesses of this world could be solved by preaching love, justice, brotherliness, and do good deeds, social services, and participate in the sacraments and the right liturgy. It took me 24 years to confess how burned out, how bankrupt I become. 24 years before I could admit that I longed for Jesus or someone else in Jesus' name to say a word of authority that could release me from this captivity. I couldn't describe it, but it was clear. And when it happened, everything changed. Everything I did became different. Everything I thought was different. My prayer was different. My Bible reading was different. My quiet time was different. My ministry was different. My love was different. My acts of mercy was different. Everything changed. Unquote. A new and greater view of reality. Friends, that's The reason and the background upon which we can sing songs, and you all know songs about chain-breaking. Let me just quote one. It's not brand new, but it's not all that old either. If you got pain, he's a pain-taker. If you feel lost, he's a way-maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison-shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain-breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Are you struck with amazement? Friends, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to encourage you to read that very last sentence, even for yourself, again and again. And when the news about him began to came out, In every place in the vicinity. Could that happen? Through you and your neighborhood? Through us together in this area? May it be that we all stand amazed. In real, real ways. Not just with words. Friends, on this June day, can we stand Of course, as you know, if you don't know who that Savior is, there's nothing we'd rather do.
than to pray with you and introduce you to him. If you don't know what it means to be in that kind of tight fellowship, not only with him, but with his people, we'd love to welcome you here. May this be a time, friends, not only today, but also today. But this week, this month, this season, this year, will you in a new way determine for yourself, I want to stand amazed. Father, pour out your spirit on everyone here, everyone who listens, everyone who watches. May we sense what they sensed in Capernaum. Forgive us if we feel more comfortable in Nazareth. Move us all to Capernaum. We ask, O Lord, in your name. Amen.